Hey, this is Alexis GBF with Precious Little Sleep Parenting Podcast, and I'm here with Ashby, Melissa, and Elizabeth. And today we are going to continue the conversation we started uh, a few weeks ago with uh, our Parenting Tools Part 1, and today we're going to wrap that up with Parenting Tools Part 2. And just in case you weren't around for our previous conversation, um, Ashby's going to kind of fill us in on what we talked about in Part 1 of this podcast. Yeah, so in part one, we discussed some soothing tools, which we call sleep power tools, that are really age-appropriate for young babies, especially zero to three months, but often through six months. And we discussed the use of swing, swaddle, white noise, and use of pacifiers. Today, we're going to talk about the next power tool, which is not a thing, but a concept, and that is managing the schedule. Yeah, I've noticed um, parents love talking about sleep schedules, and I see like you know just hundreds and hundreds of questions of you know schedules and what schedule are you using, and this is our schedule, is this a good schedule? And um, when it comes to like you know younger babies, and I'm talking like really like birth through six nine month ish, uh, I really prefer to really take an approach where we're focused on wake time, specifically how long they've been awake, either from the time they woke up in the morning until their first nap of the day, or between naps, or how long they're awake before bedtime. And the reason why I focus on wake time is twofold. One is because in the last few years, we've really learned a lot more about how sleep works. And sort of historically, there was a focus on having a schedule, like you need to nap at the same time every day. And that kind of dated belief was rooted in the idea that regularity of sleep schedule and timing of sleep would help foster better sleep outcomes, right? Like if you slept at the same time every day, you would sleep better. And the truth is that that is true at bedtime, that that the circadian rhythm, which is more of a regulatory system that works on consistency of schedule, is really powerful at bedtime, but relatively dinky during the day. It's not, you know, completely... Um, irrelevant, but it's not a real powerhouse in terms of how we're napping. So the whole, like, I have to nap at the same time every day thing doesn't really play out um, in reality of, you know, the biology of how we're sleeping. Um, so, so the emphasis really should be more on how long we've been awake, because that's really what's driving our day sleep. It's sort of, in my head, I envision it like a balloon, and the, the sleep drive is like a balloon that's slowly inflating the longer you're awake. And if you try to take a nap too soon, you know, your sleep balloon is saggy and wrinkly. And if you wait too long, it's over, you know, overinflated and it pops. So we're sort of trying to aim for this kind of perfect balloon of sleepiness um, based on how long our child has been awake. Right. I think that what you're saying makes so much sense when you give it the age range, like you said, zero to nine months, because... You know, as a lot of people on the face group, uh, Facebook group, sorry, attest to, nap length can vary so much. You know, in my mind, actually, up till one year. Mm-hmm. Some people, like it, it really settles in at nine months. But you know, your baby wakes up after a thirty-minute nap, and they've had enough sleep. They're not going to readily go back into that nap. So you know, you're not going to aim for oh, okay, well, his next nap is supposed to be at exactly 1 p.m. because that's not going to work. Based on, you know, at the time they woke up, maybe they woke up at 9.30 a.m. after that first nap, then waiting two hours for a four-month-old is probably, you know, a, a good amount of time. 
Right. And I remember when my first was born, I didn't know anything at all about schedules, you know, and just my mom in the background going and, and a lot of people hear the same thing. Babies sleep when they're tired, you know, and, and my sister who's older than me, her, her, she was just really into the flexibility. So they never followed any kind of schedule. So this is what I was thinking of. And somebody gave me a copy of Weisbluth's book. And what stuck with me um, just very strongly about the scheduling thing was, you know, never wake a sleeping baby. That was, that's something that you hear all the time, except in the morning. And that first you know, the time they wake up is basically what's going to set the rest of the day for you. Well, I think there's a lot of, wait, so there's a lot of good concepts you just, you just brought up. So there, the two that just jumped out at me was that when your nap, when your nap duration is hugely variable, trying to stick to a schedule is, is almost impossible. And that's what I remember when my, my oldest was an infant was like, I, don't, I think it was Baby Center. Baby Center is like full of schedules. They just love schedules and they'd have all these like different schedules by ages and all these things and how to adjust schedules. And I'm like, this seems reasonable. I should be using these schedules. But then he would take like 20 minute naps and then the schedule would lead me to keeping him up for four hours because the next scheduled nap was one in the afternoon and it was 830 in the morning. And he just finished his nap and he was, you know, three months old. And I'm like, what? So Variable naps and kind of a, a, a by-the-clock schedule are, are really incongruous ideas. And the other one is the one that you mentioned, which is this whole idea of waking a baby up at the same time in the morning. So, uh, and actually, I want to I table that and come back to it, because that is a good point. Um, but, but when babies are younger and nap times are hugely variable, the way that we help kind of adjust to that variability is by focusing on wait time versus trying to hit some predetermined schedule. And also focusing on wait time helps us work with the biology, the fact that that's how sleep works, that it really is based on wait time. And if we go back to this analogy of the balloon, that's also why car naps, even brief car naps can blow your nap because that 10 minute nap in the car deflates your sleep balloon. And so, you know, you're sort of stuck with this kid who really does need more sleep and isn't really well rested and happy and delightful and, you know, charming, but their sleep balloon has deflated and most kids aren't going to easily go back to sleep for another nap because that 10 minute nap in the car kind of just took away their need for sleep. Right. I think that um, I wonder what your guys' experience was with the car naps, because it seemed to me when mine were really little, you know, like up till two, three months, they could sleep for two hours in the car. And that was great. And there wasn't really any schedule. And then there was this window of time when, you know, like three, I want to say three months to a year. Honestly, it was a pretty long stretch of time where if they fell asleep in the car, and I parked the car, yes. then they were awake. So I was screwed, right? Yeah. And is that something that you guys experienced as well? I'm, Some babies I'm not, I'm not proud of this, but cars. I spent many hours sitting in my car parked in the driveway with it running. Because if it was running, he would still sleep. But if I turned the engine off, so we totally have our own like carbon footprint between the batteries of the swing and the parked car just sitting there. And I would sit there and like read a magazine in the driveway with it running for an hour because it was like, well, here we are, you know. Yes. I just that wanted to make the point that car naps can be okay if they're lengthy, mm -hmm. but it's the ones that, you know, like they fall asleep in the last five minutes when you're getting home from grocery shopping yes. and then you're like, uh. 
Well, and also when you have older kids, the whole, the whole, the whole sit in the car for an hour thing only works for the first, you know, right. like when you have older kids, the sit in the car plan kind of blows up and then you're like, ah, oh, no. Ashby, I feel like you were about to say something. Sorry. Well, I was just going to point out that the motion of the car is like a, a swing plus white noise combo in there. And so as soon as that swing and white noise that is the car turns off, there goes your soothing. Now we're just sitting in this car seat. It's not particularly soothing. Yeah, I mean, for most kids, the car is basically all of the things we talked about in Power Tools Part 1. Um, you know, it's like motion, it's white noise, they're cuddled, it's, you know. Got a pass me back. No, no, car so, naps were the, the bane of my existence. I'm thrilled to be done with the time where I have to worry about who's falling asleep in the car because... I, I did want to add one thing because this is a tool that some people might be able to use. I finally discovered with my second child that if I put a blanket kind of over the car seat and then I put the radio on static and the speakers in the back, that she'd be able to just stay asleep. So That's even without turn the car I, off and just kind of park, I turned the car out. off. Yeah. And then I would, you know, leave the windows open and that kind of stuff. So it, it can work, but yeah, yeah. it's not, it's not ideal because you, it's just so unpredictable and naps are unpredictable as it is, right? No, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, so back to the concept of wake time. So it really, really matters. And it really is the primary driver of sleep. Um, and let's kind of break it down further. So when you have a newborn and I'm talking like the first few weeks to, to maybe as late as three months, but you know, when they're itty bitty, um, there will be, uh, so as we've talked about before, you know, newborns do not have a circadian rhythm. They don't have a day and the night. Their sleep is randomly distributed throughout the day. So you're going to have these kind of mysterious naps that are, you know, four hours long. That just happens sometimes. And you're like, oh, like that happened. Um, and then you're going to have naps that are 30 minutes. And you're also going to have times when your child simply will not sleep. And primarily this is called the witching hours and it mostly happens in the evening, but it tends to be a really long period of time where despite your best efforts, that child is not going to go to sleep. It's just not going to happen. And they're going to seem like they need sleep. They'll be really cranky and fussy and you know, you might nurse a hundred times or what have you, but it's, it, it is something that happens. And that is sort of the caveat to the wake time rule, which is, well, when they're newborns, you might have large chunks of time, which are vastly long on their relative age scale that they're just not going to sleep. And that, that will crop up. It shouldn't be like a normal thing that's happened all the time throughout the day, every day, forever, but that will happen, you know, in the first few months, typically in the late afternoon, evening, you know, for us, it was really like a five to nine o'clock kind of a thing where, you know, you have like a three week old and you're like, how can you be awake for five hours? But it would just happen. Um, I want to inject here that I remember that the first times with the, that whole witching hour thing and just feeling this overwhelming desperation, mm -hmm. like my baby is not sleeping and needs to sleep so bad. And I just wanted to say to parents out there, if there's any way you could kind of take a step back from your situation at that time and take a deep breath and go, this is okay. Like yes. this evening sucks, but tomorrow's going to be better and they will fall asleep at some point tonight. And you know, to also to let go of the fight. Cause I was in a panic. Like they have to sleep. He's been awake five hours. This can't be okay. And when I flipped that to say, this is a newborn thing and it's a crappy thing. And I'm not in particularly enjoying this phase of time where we have this happening. But when I kind of accepted it as this is part of what our 
the the pattern of a newborn is it got so much easier than when I was in this panic spiral about oh my god he's awake too long and I also interpreted the fussiness as sleep deprivation like he really needs to sleep instead of just going this is just kind of what happens this is what newborns do and that was a part of letting go and just accepting you know yeah when you when you can recognize what's a normal thing for their age group it can really help to keep you calm during like stuff that would otherwise be overwhelming when you can say, okay, this is normal. They will grow out of it. It's not going to be like this forever. That can really help you keep your cool. Well, the witching hour is so punishing, right? Because it's always, it tends to be in the late afternoon, evening when you're kind of getting tapped out, you know, you're kind of ready to like eat some dinner and chill out a little bit and and you're not feeling super gung ho, about this whole fussy awake baby business, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so newborns are a little bit different. So they're, you know, newborns have typically a pretty short wake time in terms of as a general theme throughout the day. You know, like a like a two or three week old baby may not be awake longer than an hour at a time. I mean, it's they they can't handle biologically their bodies just aren't ready to be awake for long stretches. But you might have this long witching hour stretch in the late afternoon evening, and then the rest of the day, you know, you might have little tiny chunks of hour to an hour and a half here and there. You know, interspersed with naps, it could be anywhere from 30 minutes to, you know, four hours because they're newborns and, and and they might, right. They might just nap 20 minutes. They might nap an hour and a half. It's all over the place. And I've seen so many times, you know, parents who worry because my baby will only sleep for 30 minutes in the crib, but my baby will sleep for an hour and a half on me. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, no, that's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Well, I think that it's relevant because people will then say, okay, but if they can sleep for an hour and a half, I'll let them sleep on me, even if, Mm -hmm. you know, even if whatever, even if it, it, you know, sucks for me and ruins my whole day, right? So I just wanted to say it's okay for small children, for babies to sleep in half hour stretches. Like that's okay. That happens, you know? And then you just, you, you know, recoup that loss by making sure that they're, you know, getting a nap then again within, you know, a two hour uh, wake period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that might be, I mean, for some babies, that might be the new, the newborn your day, you know, they're awake for an hour, they sleep 30 minutes. They're awake for an hour, they sleep 30 minutes. Um, um, yeah. So, so wake, wake, wake times in newborns tend to be very short and, um, but focus on wait time enables you to kind of adjust based on long nap, short nap, how the day's going, car naps, boob naps, bottle naps, what have you. Cause that's just the kind of the way of the newborn. Um, uh, I will say, um, you know, typically as they move more into like the, what I call the baby phase, which is more, you know, three months on typically to nine months. But as you mentioned, Elizabeth, sometimes it's even their first year, what starts to happen is that naps become a little bit more predictable. So it may not be what we want them to be, but we kind of know what they're going to be. So you might have a kid who takes one hour long nap and one 45 minute nap or three 45 minute naps. And, um, you know, day to day, the variability decreases and we kind of know what the nap's going to look like. And when that happens, we're starting to move towards a by the clock, kind of more of a scheduled based nap paradigm versus kind of focusing on wake time, all of which is dependent upon having a consistent wake time in the morning. And you mentioned this from the Weiss Youth book, and it's a great point. So most kids organically 
by six months are kind of waking up at the same time every day. So, um, for most of us, that's going to kind of happen naturally. So your baby might wake up between 6.15 and 6.30, you know, every day. That's great. And if it happens on its own, then Bob's your uncle. But as Wife Youth points out, um, if there's still a huge amount of variability in what time your child wakes up in the day, um, it's very, very hard to get to a kind of a scheduled nap schedule because you're starting the day from an uncertain footing, you know. I wanted to make one point here, which is actually, I remember reading this in in, um, Harvey Karp's book about, you know, this is all part of the modern paradigm. It's part of the fact that we as there's something to be said about this inherent wake time that babies had, but there's this other part of it, which is a lot of parents need to get to work, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we we schedule our babies now because we don't, you know, walk around with our babies strapped to us every day like primitive cultures might do, right? So, you know, we're we're having a baby enter our life and our lifestyle and like there's kind of a give and take between them. The baby has to adapt to you. You have to adapt to the baby. But part of, you know, the setting a wake time for them every day and setting that schedule is the fact that you might have things that you need to do as well. And having your baby sleep till, you know, 9 a.m. on one day and 6 a.m. on another day, like isn't going to work for the majority of us. And, you know, you'd like to think that you can be uh, flexible because maybe your most recent experiences are coming out of college where you can sleep in on weekends. Babies don't do that, right? They do tend to wake at the same time every day, like Alexis said. What, what oh, go ahead, Ashley. Oh, that is, I was saying that is a healthier sleep pattern even for adults is when we go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time. I think it's just that by choice, a lot of us don't do that. Well, I think the, the key is, though, I mean, I mean, just not to get off too much off topic, but like, you know, Americans don't have paid leave. So we are going back to work. Uh, most of us, 70 percent of us are going back to work within a few months. You know, I think 30 percent are stay at home moms. It's like the last stat I saw. So there's two issues. One is that practically speaking, when you're when you're a working parent, you might have to get that child to daycare. So so you're going to have to get them up and fed and dressed and ready to go. Um, typically, babies wake up so early that waking them up to get to, to ch- daycare is not often a problem. <laughs> but for those lucky few, it might be. But the other issue, and I, I'm I'm a fairly flexible kind of person, but there are a lot of Type A moms out there who hate the not knowing what the day is going to bring. And I see this time and time again, and, and it, they hate it. They hate not knowing. They want to plan their lives. They want to know, can I sign up for this, you know, play group? Because are we going to be napping? Right. I don't know. Like They want to plan their lives. Um, I'm laughing because you say type A moms. And I have to just say, like, I've just never met a dad who is as <laughs> That's with scheduling That's true. as the moms That's true. are. It is. Let's be honest. It's the, the napping thing is mom's problem 99.9% of the time. But it is. It, it really, I see it driving people kind of nuts. And part of it is saying, well, you, you have to let this kind of develop on its own. Like you can't rush it. We have to let things go. At the same time, as you mentioned, if our wake time is all over the map and if there's like just absolutely, we have no idea from day to day what time we're going to start the day, there is some validity in the idea that waking your child up every day at the same time or roughly within the same time helps a number of fronts. One is 
when you have a consistent bedtime, that should lead toward consistent wake time. And if it's not, it's probably time for you to nudge things in that direction. So having a consistent wake time, when they when I say wake time, what I mean is when they wake up in the morning is the first step towards having more of a consistent by-the-clock napping schedule. Because if we're starting the day every day at 6.30, and we have a nine-month-old who can comfortably be awake two hours before their, nap, their first nap of the day, now we know that nap number one is going to happen at 8.30. And we're no mm-hmm. longer kind of mysteriously sort of flowing through the day and having no idea what's going to happen. Nap number one is going to happen two hours after they wake up. They're going to wake up every day at 6.30. 8.30 is nap time. So now we have the first nap of the day is locked into a schedule. And if that nap is still of uncertain duration, the rest of the day would flow based on wake times. But as soon as nap number one is of consistent duration, let's say it's an hour, then we're napping from 8.30 to 9.30. And then by definition, we are now set to have nap number two be by the clock because now our nine-month-old can be awake three hours before their next nap. So next nap is now, quote unquote, scheduled at 12.30, you know? So- so I think this is a good point then to raise what happens when, you know, your baby does this three or four days out of the week, but, you know, not consistent. So like nap one, 8.30 to 9.30, that's great. That happens most of the time. But on this one day or two days, there's this fluke, baby naps, 8.30 to 9. Mm-hmm. You know, does it ruin the whole rest of the day? Are you trying to squeeze in a last nap before bedtime and then making bedtime later? Is that going to affect the next day? Those are the kinds of things that I see people so wondering. So I, I call this baby coming. yoga. So between like six to nine months, you see a lot of baby yoga going on where that happens, you know, where we have this like, well, you know, we have this routine. We like our routine. We have a schedule. But then on Thursday, you know, we have a PT appointment and we always have to blow a nap and now the whole day is ruined, right? Like that that's kind of a common thing or, you know, um, or just, you know, or, or we have to pick up our older kid from preschool and she falls asleep in the car and it throws the whole day off. So for daycare, yeah, which is whatever, cool. you know, but the reality gets back to, okay, what's our fallback plan? Our fallback plan is wake times. That's our, like when we have to adjust or we have a car nap or we have whatever, our fallback plan is to go back to wake time and go, okay, you know what? We, we will have this neat little schedule and we liked knowing what the day was going to bring and having this predictability. Cause that's as adults, that's helpful. And we like knowing what we can expect, but sometimes we have to just kind of go with what works. The caveat is when your child's older than six months, I mean, sometimes even older than three months, but definitely older than six months, you're going to have a consistent bedtime. And here's the one caveat. You don't want to move bedtime and you want to manage the wake time prior to bedtime. So you don't want like the flexibility of the napping thing to encroach on bedtime. So if, again, back to my nine-month-old example, let's say hypothetically my nine-month-old goes to bed every night at 7.30 and we're having an off day and he didn't nap well and it's, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon and he's seeming really tired and I'm feeling, oh, I should put him down. He's not, you know, he's looking, he's tired, he's cranky, you know, bedtime's going to be a mess. I would say no, no. He, bedtime is sacrosanct. And unless he's like sick or there's some, you know, dramatic thing that's gone on, we don't move bedtime around. We don't move bedtime up specifically um, because that's a really challenging thing for us to do biolog- biologically. We don't sleep well in like the hour just prior to our own bedtime. So um, adult studies have called this the sleep gate. There's a gate for sleep and we're like, we're just, we're just wired not to sleep there. So um 
In this scenario with our nine month old, asking them to go to bed early, let's say 6.30 is gonna be a real challenge and probably lead to night waking if not a really early start of the day the next day. So we wanna stick with our 7.30 bedtime. Uh, option number two that you might consider is, well, he's really, really tired, it's 4.30, let's just let him take a nap. This is also a dangerous strategy because now we have a kid who's napping from 4.30 to five, they're barely gonna be awake two and a half hours prior to bedtime. They're not gonna be tired enough to fall asleep they either won't be able to fall asleep or they'll be waking up in the middle of the night because they weren't tired enough at bedtime. So both strategies are risky. And so I take the perspective of, okay, listen, you're gonna have bad wonky nap days. You're gonna have to be a little flexible. Things aren't always gonna line up to the perfect schedule that you would hope it to be, but we wanna stick to a consistent bedtime and we wanna have a really nice age-appropriate healthy wake time prior to bedtime and those are kind of sacrosanct for most of the time. And in this scenario, I would say, nope, you're gonna keep him up until bedtime. He might be overtired. We can wiggle bedtime a little bit, you know, if you need to nudge it forward like 30 minutes tops. But, you know, we just have to push through those days and accept that it, it's not always gonna work out perfectly. And that's kind of the baby yoga part of saying, you know, you have to be flexible and, you know, work with it. And we're gonna Err on the side of being a little overtired at bedtime as opposed to undertired. Yeah. If you have so to pick one. A, a slightly later, a longer gap between nap and bed, you choose that over shortening the gap. Because if you shorten the gap, it almost guarantees that your child won't be tired enough to fall asleep yeah. or stay. So I wanted to add a couple of things to that. Um, the first one is that, you know, I think a lot of people think that, okay, my baby's first nap was super short, so they're going to make up for it in the second nap. And that's not necessarily true. In my experience, like with myself, my own body and my children as well, like I've noticed that it averages out over a kind of two to three day period where if they have short naps on one day, then they don't necessarily make up for it the next day, but maybe they make up for it the next night. And I and so it just cautioned people that if you're facing short naps for two, three, maybe even four days, don't freak out about it. A four-day glitch is is okay. If it goes longer than that, that's the time that you want to start thinking about a schedule tweak. And maybe you've run into something like um, overtiredness, your awake window is too long, too short. Maybe your baby is maturing into dropping a nap. And that's a whole other topic because it's a really long transition zone. But I just wanted to mention that the, the a four-day period of naps is not a big deal. You know, that's, that, a, uh, great, that's a great piece of advice because, you know, we're all... All of us here, we're, we're all very active in the Facebook group, which is, I think, moving in towards like 14,000 members. And um, we'll get these questions where we're like, it's Tuesday and my baby's taking terrible naps all day. What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. all babies all babies will have bad nap days. Yeah, this I'm like, you know, call me like, when it's been a week, right? Everything. <laughs> yeah, you can do everything perfectly and they will still have bad nap days someday. Like this is this is the reality of life. Nothing is perfect. Maybe like one day your neighbor is like cutting your lawn during nap time and the baby is like, ah, don't mow the lawn. But that's that's life. There's you a flush bad the toilet at the day. wrong time. Like, By the way, I used to I used to like never flush the toilet during naps. I don't care what happened in there; it's gonna stay until <laughs> nap is over because you know I'm not flushing that toilet. 
So the second point that I wanted to make is that I'm not sure if I'm disagreeing with Alexis and Ashby and Melissa here, but I have to say that the one person who was, I didn't do a scheduled bedtime not like a fixed time. And but that's not to say that most of the time bedtime wasn't the same. Most of the time bedtime was the same. But there were times when like, because my kid, both of my kids went to daycare and I picked them up and the daycare people were like, oh, she took like one 45 minute nap today. And I'm like, oh my God, she's six months old. Like she cannot survive this. And you know what? Bedtime became 530 mm-hmm. that night. And like she would sleep a 12 hour stretch that night or my first one was the void. So either way, like there, there were times when bedtime moved by a whole hour, you know, earlier or like getting close to that age, age one, where, you know, maybe you're getting down to one nap. Like to me, a permissible wake time was maybe like, you know, five hours. And if they've been awake for five hours, like bedtime was just going to have to happen, even if it was a whole hour earlier. And I actually never ran into problems with that. I had the opposite experience that if they were overtired at bedtime, they woke so many times during the night and were like yelling and inconsolable. So I kind of, No, yeah. I think that's a fair critique. And, and here's the reality. You know, a lot of what we know about how sleep works biologically is based on adult studies. Because, you know, uh, parents of four-month-olds aren't that keen on having their kids in a sleep lab. Like, they're just not, you know, nobody's signing up for that yeah. study. But you can find, like, college students who will happily be sleep-deprived and monk around with their bedtime and see what happens um, in a sleep lab for money because they're poor college students. So, you know, a lot of what we do is we apply adult research to babies. And we do know that babies have a fully functioning, you know, circadian rhythm um, within a couple of months of birth. So it's not completely unrealistic to say, okay, we can apply adult, what we've learned about adult sleep and apply it to infants. But it's also true that, you know, babies are different. And some kids are going to roll with things um, and variability uh, and adjustments better than others. I know, like, a bit bit ago you were speaking about some research that you had come across that suggested that there is genetic variation in uh, a person's ability. There's huge variation in how much sleep kids need. And, um, but I will say, I think my bias is just, my sense is that, you know, Weissputh, um, it's been very Weissputh centric today. Weissputh's book seems to kind of prescribe an early bedtime as the cure to all evils. You know, how do you Mm. close the, the, you know, the trade deficit? Oh, you know, earlier bedtime. It's just every problem (laughs) solved by earlier bedtime. And what I've observed is that when we push bedtime too early, um, we often shrink the wake time prior to bedtime too substantially. And that leads to bedtime problems. And often the bedtime problem could be can't fall asleep at bedtime, could be awake for an hour or two in the middle of the night, or it could be starting the day at 4.30 in the morning. And that those possible outcomes are so um, uh, unenjoyable. (laughs) Like, you know, nobody wants to be up with an awake kid at two in the morning and nobody wants to start the day at four in the morning that I tend to err on the side of, you know what, stick to that wake time and stick to that bedtime as the safest strategy. But some kids are going to be more flexible. And and I think for sure, you know, you have to experiment a little and find what's going to work best for your, your family. 
So I have one other thing that I wanted to ask about, and and you know we can gloss over if it doesn't uh, work in this topic. But I'm wondering if you've done any research into this, into the idea of like natural, you know, like this person is naturally a night owl. This person is naturally an early morning person. If that's a nature versus nurture thing. And I'll tell you why, because when I first, I live in Alaska and when I, and we are, we've got like 24 hours of daylight in the summer and 20 hours of darkness in the winter. And so the circadian rhythm thing is like a little more challenging to handle. You have to kind of manipulate it a little bit. Wait, has anybody done any studies? It sounds like probably everybody in Alaska has like a chronic and low level of de- depression. Finland. I don't know if they've done studies here, but, but I moved here. My baby was five, six months old and we went to this party and we we're like, Oh, we got to go. We got to get the baby to bed. And there are other people there with babies who are like, Oh, we just keep our, baby up till midnight. And it struck me like you, is the schedule something you can just erect around your lifestyle? Like maybe you could easily have your baby like sleep from midnight till noon every day. And people were saying to me, Oh, you know, my babies were always night owls from the time they were infants. They they sleep till noon. Like if your child can sleep 12 hours and go from midnight to noon and it works for your lifestyle, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. The problem is that most babies don't sleep till noon, right? Like most are not going to do that. And our circadian rhythm is heavily influenced by light exposure. So now you're off the clock. Now, I guess in Alaska, there is no light for months of the year. And so you're sort of, you know, managing it yourself. But most of, most of us are really influenced by light exposure so that being awake when the sun is up um, sets us up for being asleep when the sun is down. And but is there such a thing as a natural night owl? Well, there are, but I've seen that mostly sure. applied to adults. That there's, there's, um, yeah. And I am a night owl, but it's very, it's much easier for me to stay awake at night than it is for me to get up early. So if you needed somebody to drive cross country to drive from like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., I'm your gal. If you need someone, however, to wake up at four in the morning please do not call me like that. But you're saying that's something that develops later on. And as far as I know, it is. So babies are wired to wake up early and they tend to go to bed early and wake up early. And then in adolescence, our body clocks shifts later, which is why like 12 year olds and 16 year olds can't get up for school anymore. And they're, you know, we're dragging them out of bed and they're missing the bus. And that's a whole nother conversation about how sleep deprived high schoolers are because of the early school start times. And then as we get older, like post adolescence, we settle kind of back into kind of a normal, kind of what we think of as an adult sleep rhythm, you know, with a 10, 11 o'clock bedtime, we wake up at like seven and, you know, until we get to be old people. And then we go back to going to bed early and having dinner at four in the afternoon and, you know, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I think even if you're, infant is able to do like a midnight to 12 p.m. Eventually, that's not going to be sustainable at some point unless you homeschool your kid. And eventually, oh. they will eventually go to school where they have to be up at like seven or eight well, or And, and you're missing all of this, like all of the nine o'clock story time, social play day, swim yeah. lesson, like all of the cool fun stuff for kids tends to be at like nine in the morning. So you're missing nine all of that. Nine a.m. What, what, Ashby? 
you got to be up at 9 a.m. I mean, that is the time when things happen. Yeah, no, I, and most people I know, I don't care how delightful and charming your kid is, most people I know do not want to be chilling out with a 10-month-old at midnight. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, if it's your life choice and it works for you and your child is sleeping, I support that. But, you know, long haul, it's, it's not typically sustainable or enjoyable. You know, I really like that point because it's basic. I think we're kind of bringing it home here saying that like, you know, a bedtime, a, a particular bedtime or a particular wake time is something that you need to set, you know, for your schedule and have your baby work around that. Right. So, you know, if you want some time to relax in the evening, yes, like I pick do. a bed. Very much so. Yes. yes, I do. You know? <laughs> Um, great. So yeah, so in the conclusion, I just want to, again, get back to our key points. What we were talking about in the last podcast in this one is that there are fundamental tools that you can use to help your child sleep better. And, um, as we talked before, we've talked about swaddling, swing, white noise, pacifier, um, and watching the clock. How long has my child been awake? Um, because, we really, we need to be awake to accrue enough of a sleep debt to fall asleep and stay asleep. So if you want good naps, you need to have been awake long enough to be tired enough to actually sleep. Um, but not so long that we're now overtired and, you know, and most of us, we know when our kids are overtired, it's pretty, pretty clear. So, you know, if you're using all of these great power tools like the swaddle and the swing and the pacifier and the white noise, but you're completely blowing the sleep schedule, you're going to really struggle. And similarly, if you're like really great about keeping an eye on the clock, but we're not giving our children enough soothing, it's going to be hard for them to fall asleep and stay asleep. So I really think of these as a set of things that all kind of work together to sort of optimize our our napping and our bedtime. Now, it doesn't guarantee you that everything is going to be like, you know, gumdrops and roses. But if you're doing using these things and you're and you're mindful of in your in your application of them, you're really doing all you can do. So if you're giving your child lots of soothing and you're putting them down for naps at an appropriate after an appropriate duration of being awake, and then they take a 30-minute nap, that might be frustrating and you might feel like, wait a minute, I'm doing all the right things. Where's the payoff? But and it's frustrating. That's the way babies are, but you can be confident, you know what, you've done all you can do. You've done all you can do. And if this is how long they're napping, that's just where you're at today. And, and I, you know, I like want to add that um, a lot of people get frustrated. They think like, I'm just going to be a prisoner in my home if I follow <laughs> scheduling. This is going to last maximum one year. I know that sounds like a long time, but after that year is up, it's actually in retrospect kind of goes pretty quickly. And also you can feel free to just disregard everything that we've said here and try to be as flexible as you want to be. But I almost guarantee the majority of people are going to find that their babies are asking them, you know, set a schedule for me because that's how I will function optimally. Yeah, and some babies, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say some babies are more flexible than other babies. Like some babies, you, if they're stretched to an extra half hour of wake time, that's no big mm-hmm. deal for them. But other babies, you stretch them an extra half hour of wake time and they're melting down miserable mess. Yeah. So like some of that will just come with like you knowing your kid and figuring out like, is my kid flexible enough to be stretched 
a little bit extra for wake time if we have to, or is are they just going to become a complete mess? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's a balance between kid meltdown and your own personal sanity, and you find a little balance there. I mean, Duncan was a oh, forget it. Like you had a very narrow window, and if you missed that band, it was they was they was done. They was done. Just that's it. Now we're just counting the hours till bedtime because we're done. But. You know, like I used to belong to a really great uh, program uh, called Mobs, and I loved it. Yeah. So we just went, and that day I just took it for the team, and I enjoyed my time at Mobs, and that was, you know, our balance of maternal health and uh, child napping. Um, but I, I will say, when people talk about like blowing naps on a daily basis, I'm like, eh, that's not going to lead. That's not going to end well. But you know, here and there, you got to do what you got to do. Life goes on, and we have needs also. Doctors' appointments you know, play dates with friends, whatever. Um, just try to prioritize it around things that are really worth it. Uh, mm -hmm. not just, you know, like going to Costco. <laughs> hey, I love going to Costco. Oh, no. <laughs> Woo, free samples. Um, all right guys. Well, thanks so much for sharing your uh, thoughts with us today. Um, that's what Troy has to say about it. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our talk about wake times, and I hope you've heard some ideas you can apply to your own family. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about what might be the most important topic as it relates to helping your baby or toddler sleep through the night, and that is how sleep works, sleep associations, and what needs to happen at bedtime. You won't want to miss it, so we'll see you back here soon. Are you interested in everything sleep and parenting? Want to help your kids sleep better? Keen to learn from experts and best-selling authors? Then subscribe to the Precious Little Sleep podcast on iTunes. You can learn more by visiting the website www.preciouslittlesleep.com forward slash podcast to find all episodes, show notes, and substantial additional resources. Got a suggestion or question you would like us to tackle? Drop a note on the website. And finally, if this was helpful to you, please support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. Cheers and tally-ho!